Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Laurel Moses was born in Florida, but lived in Memphis for most of her childhood. She graduated from the University of Tennessee with a degree in child development and psychology and completed her master's in marriage and family therapy at Trevecca Nazarene in Nashville. She has lived in the Nashville area for 17 years and enjoys being outdoors with her husband, Matt, and children, Maddie B., Henry, Eleanor, and Fletcher. Her background is in counseling, case management, home study writing, and campus ministry. A part of her passion to serve families and children has grown from a desire to honor her and Matt's first daughter, Nora, who was stillborn in 2011. Laurel has loved volunteering with the Forrest Spence Fund and is honored to continue the work of the fund in Nashville. We are honored to have Laurel on with us today. Welcome, Laurel. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, so this is special in lots of ways to me. I have known Laurel for, goodness, Laurel, what, 20? I guess what, how, 22. 20, yeah, 22 years, probably. I met Laurel at the University of Tennessee, and um, I actually remember her going through uh, what's now called recruitment. Back in our day, we called it rush, but I remember her going through recruitment. Um, and then we were both involved in a college ministry called The Cross at the University of Tennessee. And I have always just been inspired by Laurel and her sweet spirit and her willingness to serve and love others. And so it's such an honor that for the last, um, goodness, five or six years, she's been volunteering for the Four Spence Fund. And now that she is our official director of the Four Spence Fund in Nashville. And so I'm excited to have her on today and for her to tell her story um, of uh, Nora and Nora's medical journey and what kind of led her to her role with the Four Spence Fund and why she's gotten involved and why she's such a perfect fit for the Nashville director. So Laurel, why don't we start a little bit with with Nora, with her story, and tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Matt and I found out we were pregnant with Nora in um, 2010, summer of 2010. Um, we had had a couple pregnancy losses, um, so we were cautious, but really thankful for how well her pregnancy was was going. All was well. It was really smooth. Um our 20-week ultrasound, um, I remember clearly the doctor saying she looks perfect, um, and somehow it just kind of settled a little bit um, strangely in my heart when she said that, although I was really thankful and relieved. Um, at that ultrasound, they didn't get a few pictures just because of how Nora was positioned, Um uh, strangely enough, those were the exact pictures that showed that she did have um, a medical issue going on. So three weeks later, we went back just to 
what was supposed to be a really easy, just check off the box, finish up the ultrasound, um, and found out that she had um, an issue called um, duodenal atresia, where her stomach and her small intestine were not open. The opening um, just hadn't formed the right way. So we were told that that was a marker for Down syndrome. Um, she didn't have any other markers. And um, we didn't do further testing as far as that goes, just because um, we were completely um, fine with uh, that diagnosis, if that were, if that were the case. Um, but it was one marker um, with no other issues. Um, we were told that she would need a surgery a couple days after her birth or as soon as she was ready so that she would be able to um, digest food and liquid. Um, with that, with that uh, closure, she wouldn't be able to eat at all. Um, and so we were at St. Thomas at the time in Nashville, and um, we were in the process of switching doctors at that point um, to go to Vanderbilt. Um, my OB didn't have rights at Vanderbilt and we needed the, um, their NICU capabilities, um, were a little more extensive than St. Thomas. So, um, we started the process, which was, um, a big deal cause we really loved our doctor, but, um, we knew we were in good hands and, um, we were told that, um, she would be safe as long as she was in the womb, um, that she was, um, not processing the fluid like she needed to, but, um, but she would be okay until birth. Um, so we did not expect what happened in the weeks to come. Um, I had felt her kicking from around week 17. She was super active, which was, uh, really wonderful. Um, but at week 25, I had a, about a full day where I didn't feel her kick. Um, and, you know, several friends said, oh, she's probably just turned around. She's still, you know, she's still at that point where she could just be kicking your back and you don't know. Um, I called my doctor. It was a Friday morning and um, told them that I just wasn't feeling her and they said, just come, come in right away and we'll do an ultrasound, just make sure everything's okay. So um, we were still at St. Thomas at that point and um, we drove down and um, I remember Matt and I just being so quiet in the car as if we, as if we had a sense already um, of what was happening. Um, so we went in and the doctor's office was just about to close, which was um, helpful because no one else was there. Um, they closed half day on Fridays. Um, so we went in, into the ultrasound room and um, I couldn't see the picture. I could just see my husband's face and he was watching the, um, the ultrasound um, text um, computer screen. And I just, saw him go blank and um, she said, I'm going to go get your nurse and your doctor. Um, and that's when we knew that um, Nora had passed away in the womb. Um, so uh, there was just, you know, that um, 
time stood still and that shock. And um, I remember walking out to my sweet doctor and she just had her arms wide open. Um, and they said, you know, you guys can go home and um, do what you need to do. And um, it just felt like there was nothing, there was nothing to to do going home was just going to be going home and seeing a nursery and seeing the life that we thought we were preparing. Um, so we, um, just went straight over to labor and delivery and, um, started that process. And she was born, um, about exactly 12 hours later. Oh, wow. And, and so what, what day was that? That was, it was um, Friday, January 21st was the day we went to the hospital. And then she was born about two in the morning on the 22nd of January. On the 22nd. And um, it broke up a tiny bit when you actually said the diagnosis. So what was the, what was the diagnosis again? Duodenal atresia. Okay. Okay. And... So when you got the diagnosis, your doctor had really um, made you feel like, okay, she's safe in the womb. Mm-hmm. She's okay. There's so many unknowns once she's born, but this is fixable. Yeah. This is go into the NICU yeah. pretty quickly, evaluate, mm-hmm. and then do surgery yeah. rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Um but even at that, I guess you said you were around 23 weeks or so when you got the news. So even at that point, mm-hmm. you know, you really must have had some peace in knowing, okay, she's safe in here. The unknown is coming. Yeah. Um, but let's just keep her in and keep feeling her. And mm-hmm. um, and so I know just to get the news that she no longer was alive and your womb had to be beyond heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And then to go through the whole process of delivering her, I can't even imagine how unbelievably hard that was to know that, that she wouldn't have those first cries or, or any of those things. And so how long did you end up staying You know, so she's born about 2 a.m. Do -hmm. you get to spend a little bit time with her? Yes, we were able to hold her for as long as we um, as long as we possibly could, which was really which was really beautiful. Um, The nurses and our doctor were really great. Um, And so we just laid there, the three of us in the hospital bed um, until probably 10 a.m. the next morning. we had, this was, you know, long before the days of COVID. So thankfully we could have a lot of visitors come in. So a lot of our family came in right after her birth and held her. Um, and and then the three of us uh, just laid there together and, um, and we were able to just be with her um, until about halfway through the next day. Um, okay. Okay. And then how long did you end up having to stay in the hospital? I just stayed until about the end of that day. I really, yeah, I wasn't, um, I think that they recognized that it would be better for us to be home. Um, I had the epidural out and, um, what, you know, relatively was doing okay. Um, so, um, they, 
I rolled out in a wheelchair and, um, you know, it's still just those, um, like those still, still caption memories kind of, um, of each part of the shock of that weekend. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't, I can't even, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, my, my stories of being rolled out of the hospital as well mm-hmm. without the baby in my arms. Yeah. Um, but both times that happened, you know, there was hope. I had one, uh, you know, that was already at Le Bonheur mm-hmm. fighting for his life. And then I had one that was in the NICU at the the birthing hospital that mm-hmm. I had delivered at. And so even though that was terribly hard to be rolled out without one, I did have hope, um, mm-hmm. you know, that they would get better and that I would eventually get to have that baby. Um mm-hmm. Tell me just about those feelings of being rolled out and the feeling of just kind of even just like what happened? How did we get here? What, you know, um, just that, that feelings, those feelings that you had in those, those, those moments of delivering and then after, and then even the days and weeks and months kind of ahead. Tell Mm -hmm. me about that. Um, I remember in the middle of the night, um, when we were just waiting for her birth, um, I really hit some panic moments um, where there there was a lot of there were there were many moments of comfort and um, we felt a lot of support from our family and friends and we were really grateful for that. Um, but um, of course, interwoven with all of the comfort was just this complete shock and panic over um my worst fear was um reality at that moment and um and and in those hours and I just remember trying to um cling on to any kind of sense of normalcy I remember asking one of the nurses about her upcoming wedding and just like kind of bouncing back and forth between what my new reality was and still trying to um, kind of cling on to maybe who I was before, um, even though at that point it did feel like it was life before Nora and after Nora. Um, and um, and so there, in the midst of the darkness, there were a lot of pieces of light, but um, but it did feel just very very, very dark when I let myself lay down the, maybe the ways I was trying to protect my heart or um, push through it. And um, when she was born, there was really a sweet kind of stillness, kind of a peace around her, um, which was really a gift. And, but it was still just really quite um, unbelievable to, um, to look at this baby that I felt kicking, that we had videoed my stomach moving all around um, with so much joy and um, been listening to on the Doppler that we got to have at home and uh, to see her um, without life was just really, you know, I I know that, you know, that there are just no words sometimes. Um, It just, yeah, it, it just it was just quite unbelievable, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um 
and I'm so thankful that you did have a, a, it sounds like a wonderful OB who, you know, supported and loved you and was very Mm -hmm. sensitive to what you were going through. Um, and I think that is such a gift and, Mm -hmm. and a gift too of your husband and just, Mm -hmm. you know, his love for you and support for you and the support of your, of your loved ones as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just want to say, you know, how sorry I am. I mean, just sitting here thinking about, you know, that, that, she'd be 11 and wondering what she'd be like and her personality like. And, um, and so, uh, I'm just, I'm very sorry. I know that, that, uh, she is very proud of her mama, um, and, um, and very proud of her daddy and, and all of her siblings as well. So, um, and her life has purpose and meaning and, um, continues, you've continued to be able to honor that in, your life and what you've done and the person you are and the mother you are and the wife you are. And now as the director of our nonprofit as well in Nashville and, um, you know, her life has meaning and purpose. And I'm so thankful for that, even though, you know, in a heartbeat, I wish I could take away your pain and your loss um, and it not be that, but she did have purpose. Um, Tell me about how her journey impacted you know, really your family, mm-hmm. your marriage, your career. Tell me a little bit about that. How did, you know, you've, you have four more children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tell me a little bit about how you feel like it impacted your family. And then we'll talk a little bit about maybe your marriage and career as well. Okay. And family, you can talk about marriage too. So really Matt and the children and, but how did that affect really your family? Yeah. Well, um, after Nora was born, um, and that was our third pregnancy, we really, we we weren't given a whole lot of hope about having a successful live birth after this, um, because of our history. And Matt and I had always, um, considered adoption from early, early on. It's just, it's, almost comical to look back on now what we thought that would look like. Like we really thought, oh, oh, it would be this, you know, sweet decision not made out of uh, maybe a sense of this is, we we didn't think that it, that we would make the decision after going through that type of heartbreak, I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but we were always, we always had felt drawn to it, um, which was a sweet gift. Um, so uh, about six months after Nora was born, we decided that um, it was probably maybe a good time to start working on our home study and talking about adoption. Um um, I remember mapping um, a little bit more ready in a way for that. And I, we're both very eager to have children and really looking forward to, and really believing we would have children on earth. We really did, even with, um, even with some low statistical hope maybe um, for biological children, but we really didn't feel hopeless about our children, but I did start feeling like I was, um, by moving to the next step, maybe I was leaving Nora behind in a way. Um, And that really was a a wrestling um, for for my heart. 
And I'm thankful that that has not felt like it was the case at all. But in those first, in taking those first steps after her birth, um, it did feel like I I just I had this this fierce desire for her to not be forgotten and um, not be overlooked um, by people around us, people who love us. You know, we knew our family loved her um, and, and they do love her, but um, I just was fiercely protective of her being valued. Um, so, um, so we started the home study process and finished that at the end of 2011. And at the same time, we just felt really strongly that we would continue trying to um, become pregnant. And our agency was was fine with that, um, thankfully. So we were uh, matched with a couple birth mothers over the course of the next year, and they, um, for different reasons, ended up changing their minds. And uh, I really related to them and was thankful that they didn't have to say goodbye to their babies if that wasn't how it was meant to be. But those those decisions were were difficult um, because we, as they chose us, we thought that we thought that those were our next, you know, children. But looking back, it it makes, you know, it. I don't know how any of this can totally just make sense, but um, but we see we see God's hand in it all and how He has woven our children together and the times of waiting were not without purpose. So during that year, um, end of May, 2012, we found out we were pregnant and and we're just really cautious about um, what to expect as far as that pregnancy. But um, thankfully that pregnancy went well until a little bit of a scary end, but that was our daughter, Maddie B. And now she is nine years old and she's doing great. Um, she was just in the NICU for about a week after a um, placental abruption. And of course we were overjoyed. And at that point when she was in the NICU, we were just kind of um, just so on cloud nine and knew she was going to be okay. So we're just really grateful to be, uh, to, to be, um, with our, with our breathing baby, um, about, we also continue to feel really strongly to, um, continue in the adoption process. Um, so when she was exactly four months old, we got a call, um, from our agency about a baby boy who is, exactly three months old um and (laughs) we spoke with his birth mother several times that day and it just looking back um there was absolutely no hesitation it was just very clear to us that that was our son um so we met him traveled to him immediately and met him about 12 hours from when we first got the call um wow so, uh, so those, uh, those are our quote unquote twins, um, they, 
they go through they each go through times of not wanting to um think about that word at all but they <laughs> they're a sweet little pair um and what's really sweet is that um they actually had the same due date as what we found when we Wow. Um, went to get Henry's hospital records. Um, Maddie B was born a month early and he was born four days overdue. Um, but gestationally they were, um, exactly the same, which was wow. really amazing. Um, and then when we took him to it, we were in Atlanta at the time or Georgia, when we took him to a pediatrician, um, that was just recommended by a friend, um, and her name was Elizabeth. Um, but as we we're sitting there, I looked up at her um, diploma, and her name was Nora Elizabeth, um, spelled exactly the same as Nora's name. Um, so in the same way that we had gotten such shocking news, we had some of these really extraordinary um confirmations of of where we were at that point um and that our children were all connected in a really eternal way um yeah um, that we're really that's one of my favorite stories I mean I I remember you even telling me that and it's it's to this day one of my favorite stories if you look it up and seeing her diploma and the name on her diploma and just having this piece of like, this is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be with Henry and Maddie B, you know, having Maddie B, this tiny baby with us, with Henry. (laughs) Um, And then this pediatrician having the exact same name and this pediatrician was helping y'all. I just, yeah, um, it was really extraordinary. Yeah. Such a beautiful story. So Maddie B and Henry Mm -hmm. are about a month apart. Yes. Okay. And then you've got Eleanor and Fletcher. Yeah. So Eleanor um, was then, she is only 21 months younger than Maddie B and Henry. So (laughs) uh, we were just kind of on this adrenaline kick and, um, and she had a really ideal, smooth pregnancy delivery. Um, We're really grateful for that. Um, And then we had a couple early pregnancy losses um, after Eleanor. And then, um, and then Fletcher was born in April of 2018. So he just turned four. Wow. And his pregnancy was very smooth. And um, also, so we, yeah, we were really thankful we're really grateful to be where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously looking back, I mean, a lot of, um, you know, y'all had the fertility or I guess not necessarily fertility as much as the miscarriages, right? Or a little bit. Did you also have some of that too, struggling to get pregnant or was it more? Okay. Okay. So really both of those fertility, miscarriage, stillborn. Um, and then I know maybe for another podcast, but Henry had some early, um, kind of concerning things as well. I don't think I even realized Maddie B had that week long stay in the NICU. So you had a week long stay in the NICU. Mm -hmm. Henry had, was it asthmatic kind of respiratory? He had a lot of respiratory issues when, when we first met him. So he, um, immediately was on breathing treatments around the clock. Um, and needed a lot of support. He had a um, he had a pretty tough 
um, respiratory illness that lasted for several months. Um, and we were in the hospital for a night or two, but ne- but he didn't have to be hospitalized. Um, but we were in a lot of appointments. We were at Vanderbilt, um, which was wonderful. And then our pediatrician has been really great too. But he, he for about his first two and a half years, he needed a lot of respiratory um, support. Okay. And, um, and doing well now, has he kind of, yeah. Okay. Um, he, yeah, he, thankfully he's just about grown out of any type of asthma. We're still really cautious about him and especially if he gets a virus or something like that, but he is, I mean, it's almost not even a thought anymore, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay. And then how do you feel like that impacted um, your career? I mean, kind of what you, you know, your focus and uh, what you've done in that realm. Well, when Nora was born, I was in grad school at Trevecca. Um, and I was all, actually about a year from finishing up. So I withdrew for at least a session, maybe two sessions of classes, um, because I just didn't, I just had to stop and um grieve uh in that heavy grieving time um and then when I went back to school um started back did my um practicum and internship and the experience that we had with Nora had forever changed so much of our outlook on life but it definitely I, w- I was already in a in the program to do counseling and it definitely encouraged me even more to um, uh, continue on that path, whether I actually saw clients as a therapist or not. Um, I did do that for a brief time before the, um, before our children, our current children were born. Um, And since then I have felt like I just didn't really have the emotional or mental space to actually see um, clients as a counselor, but have felt very strongly about supporting other families and um, parents and, um, and children who are going through um, loss and grief and um, just, trials of different kinds. Um, so I'm really grateful to be in the role I am now. And, um, Brittany, one of the big, one of those kind of still moments that I, that I look back on, um, with Nora was when we, um, realized her diagnosis, but thought she was going to be okay. But you were one of the first people that I heard from, saying, you know, if there's anything that we can do, your support was immediate. And that was really a gift at that time. And looking back, um, it's, uh, it's really remarkable to see how God has provided for us through people like you and David, and, and that now I get to be in this role supporting families who are going through such a variety of really unbelievably difficult experiences. I'm just really grateful to have this opportunity. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to have your expertise. I mean, you were, 
so valuable to me in the fund when we were going into Nashville and really looking at counseling and helping us figure that piece out and who are good counselors for us to work closely with. And, um, you know, you reaching out to counselors personally to say, hey, this is a organization I believe in and partnering up with them and um, just to have your expertise, because that's just, you know, a whole different realm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up outside of Nashville, but it's been you know, coming up on 24 years since I lived there. And, you know, anybody that lives in the greater Nashville area knows it's nothing like it was, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the the late nineties. And so it's been such a gift just to have you that understands Nashville and understands that, you know, if this is a family that lives in Franklin, they absolutely can't drive all the way to the other side of Nashville to get counseling. We got to find someone close. And what does that mean? And, Um, And just being able to help us in that regard as far as, um, and then meeting with all the hospitals and partnerships with them. And, um, and I think just, you know, knowing your background and what y'all have gone through and your journey with your children, you know, you've always, I mean, as I said, in college had such a sweet spirit um, and such, you know, something that you, you have people who are drawn to you regardless, mm-hmm. and then you take your story and what y'all have gone through. And, um, it's even more beautiful to know that, you know, when you're working with the families that we work with or the hospital staff, you know, that you, that you get it, you mm-hmm. understand, you understand loss, you understand grief. Um, you know, and the other side of things too, that often our families, this isn't the first heartbreak that they have experienced, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be fertility, whether it be miscarriage, whether it's be that they've had another hospital stay or so many of our chronically ill children, families that, that they have numerous hospital stays. I mean, we mm-hmm. call them kind of our frequent flyers that they're in the hospital often more than they are home. And so, you know, being able to you know, work with them and support them is so key from all the different Mm -hmm. things that we do. What would you say to families going through a similar circumstances, y'all, you know, whether it be, you know, I actually feel like that this is an area that, that I struggle a little bit in because I, I, I had overall a very non-surprising pregnancy, you know, Mm -hmm. everything, with Forrest really checked the boxes and went well. I mean, once we got to those 30, 31 weeks, I started having kidney issues Mm because of the way that he was kind of kinking my ureter, but, but he continued to be fine, you know? And so I was pretty naive and thinking, Oh, you get a good 20 week, you know, 20. I mean, I even think I had, once I started having kidney issues and kidney stones, I started having way more ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. And so continuing to see him and seeing how great he was doing. Um, And so sometimes I feel like that is a a place that maybe I don't connect as well with families are those that get such hard news when the baby is in the womb, Mm -hmm. because there's such unknown and the unknown can be such a scary place to live and a scary place to be. Mm -hmm. And the fear and the what ifs and the can we make it to term? You know, what happens if I go early and they're not ready? And, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how important it is that when there are these diagnoses that, that they have figured out how important it is that the baby is full term and healthy and has strong lungs. Cause if they already have Mm -hmm. other things that they're fighting, um, when they come into the world, those things are so important. So 
you know, what are, what are some things that maybe you would share with families in similar circumstances that maybe have gotten some news that is really hard in the womb? Mm -hmm. You know, what are some things that maybe were helpful to you and Matt, um, and in something that you could maybe offer to others? Mm -hmm. I think that when we, I remember when we, um, got Nori's diagnosis, there were a lot of things that we would look back on and had so much to learn and really, really struggled through together or separately. And then ways we needed to struggle together and we kind of isolated from each other. Um, But in those first, in in that first few days after knowing that she was going to need a surgery, we just really slowed down. We just kind of stopped everything. Um, Because even though we thought she was going to be okay, we knew it was going to we knew it was going to be, it was going to be hard. Um, and imagining her needing a surgery was really difficult to imagine, of course. So um, I just remember us really just clearing our schedules for a few days and just, um, you know, being outside with our dogs. And um, it wasn't like that made everything pleasant or peaceful. Um but we weren't just trying to ignore it at that point. And I, I remember that being a sweet comfort for me that we could just be in it together for, you know, a day or two or three before we needed to um, go to the um, maternal fetal and start the, start the new appointments um, and get everything changed over. Um, there have been other times where we have felt uh really, really kind of panicked for the next step or for the next phases. And I, looking back over the last 11 years, I feel like not that, um, not in a flippant way of like, everything's going to be fine, but just in a way of, in like a, a really deeply heavy way of, of, I, I learned, I think, to stay in the moment more than just trying to more than just trying to rush to the next step because we so desperately wanted that next step and the and yeah. that next phase. Um, but I, in order to get there, we just we really had to stop and and be still. And there were times where we where we didn't we we grieved in really unhealthy ways. And so I don't feel like I um, look back and, and think, I I guess there was just, there were things that we had to learn, um, in really messy, messy ways. And I, and I, you know, I think that's true for all of us in grief. Um, but I do value looking back on the times where we able to be still together in it. Mm -hmm. And, just let ourselves really feel everything we need to feel and, and be with her while we could, um, you know, be with her while she was still kicking and, and be with her even, um, when she was, uh, without life, you know, um, I wish that we had held her even longer, you know? Um, so I think that whether it's, um, whether it's, grieving at the loss or um or waiting in hope because it, it, it things it does look like things are going to get better and hopefully they will i think just being 
giving yourself gentle space to be in the moment. I think it, I think that's what I look back on and value the most. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also I'm sure just processing, you know, that grief and what Mm -hmm. that looks like and how that affects you and your marriage and your family. And, um, and then it said, you said too, that she's, she's forever a part of y'all, you know, she's, she's forever a a sister to all four of your children, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think y'all have done that beautifully. And as you said, we, we all stumble and look back and go, man, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. I could have done this better. I could have done this better. But sometimes even as you hear people who are steps ahead or have walked that journey, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they tell you certain things, you know, you've got to just, you've got to do it yourself. You've got to figure it out yourself. You've got to sit in that. You've got to process that. Mm -hmm. And for each person, I mean, you know, for doing it, for a while now working with families, you know, I will, I will say there is no right or wrong way to grieve. Mm -hmm. And it is not my place to judge. It is Mm -hmm. not my place to, you know, say this is the right way. And this is the wrong way. Each person has to do it in their own way. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to offer, you know, any hope or advice that I can offer. Mm -hmm. But so often it's in the way of saying, this is what worked for David and I, or Mm -hmm. this is what didn't work for David and I. We messed up in this way, or these are things that, you know, I feel like we, we did do well. Mm -hmm. One of those being counseling, going to counseling and being really, you know, serious about counseling and working through it because I didn't, I didn't want it to come back in 20 years and me to not be able to handle life because I had never processed and handled the grief, Definitely. Um, you know, and what that looked like. And so, you know, I think it's so often in today's world, I feel like people, you know, like to tell us the right way or the wrong way, yes. you know, of doing things. And especially now with the aspect of you can be behind a screen and mm-hmm. you can, you know, put out things without having to look person and look a person in the eye. And so much of that is you're doing it wrong or you're doing it right. And, you know, it's not our place. It's not our place to, to offer that. It's not our place. I mean, that's why, um, it's, I, I love our, our tagline of empathy, understanding hope, you know, we're not telling you truth. This is the way that it has to be, mm-hmm. or this is the right way or the wrong way. We're trying to offer empathy. We're trying to understand. And then we're trying to offer you hope. Yes. Um, you know, whatever that may look like. Well, you just someone who has gotten to watch your journey and see, you know, how it has in so many ways come full circle in the way that, you know, your counseling or your social work or your um, casework kind of stuff that you've done, or also even um, now with working for the fund, it's been such a gift and um, and such a gift to see uh, Nora's life and the life of your other children and your husband and, um, you know, to be able to, um, give back and love Mm -hmm. others and serve others has been really beautiful. So thank you for sharing about Nora and thank you for sharing 
your journey with her. I know that it will be a blessing to so many who have experienced um, infant loss, Mm -hmm. stillborn, um, infertility and miscarriages. It's such a, um, unfortunately, a very, very common thing that's Mm -hmm. happening. And what we hope is that families and parents can see that they're not alone. Yes. That, you know, you're being open and honest with what you've gone through and that they're not alone and Mm -hmm. that um, it shouldn't be something that you feel like you can't let others know or be real or Mm -hmm. honest about. Um, But, you know, there's a whole other thing too of being able to say this, this is harder than this, or this grief is stronger than this, or this is harder than this. You can't, you can't put those into words Mm -hmm. of what's harder, you know, whatever that person is going through at that moment, Mm -hmm. that is what is so hard. And so there's no comparing of, well, mine was harder, yours was harder. And that's what they're, they're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fears with that and the concerns with that. So thank you for sharing her story. Thank you for sharing y'all's story. And thank you for sharing your life and your ministry with the Four Spence Fund and the families we serve. And uh, we're just so thankful for you. Well, I'm so grateful, Brittany. It really, um, it it is a gift every single day to um, get to work with you and the fund and the families and the um, hospitals that we serve. And it really does feel like um, Nora um, is just so valued by you and through the Forest Spence Fund. And I'm just, um, I, I'm just forever grateful for that. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.